0: Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 Development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office 365Dev. Okay, Welcome to episode 80 of the Office 365 Development Podcast. Hey, Rich, how are you? Good. Hitting 80, man. That's pretty good. I know. 80. We've got 20 to go to we hit the grand total of 100. I've always been told uh,
1: when people have birthdays, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, if it's a speed limit birthday, it's a significant one. So, like, if, if you're, you know, turning 35 or 40 or 45, those are all pretty significant birthdays, whereas anything in between is kind of like nothing. So uh, this is our, it's a speed limit podcast.
0: All right. Talking to speed limits, when I drove up to Vancouver last week, kind of crossing the border between America and Canada, their speed limits are in kilometers per hour, whereas everything in the U.S. is miles per hour. But I wasn't that clear on that. And uh, so where Canada was saying kind of, I think it was 80, 80, I was like, wow, they're faster here. So I was doing 80 mile an hour which in actual fact was only 80 kilometers an hour. And the only reason I realized was in my Audi on the navigation, sometimes it'll tell me if I'm going a wee bit fast and shows a little speed limiting sign. I think you must use GPS and work out the speed limits of the roads. But um, just a known fact of being careful when you're in Canada, when you're crossing the border, when you're driving in your car.
1: Does that little indicator pretty much just stay on in your navigation system? Um, It might do. (laughs) Nice. Did you get a ticket? No. Well, we have, um, in in Texas, we actually have, I think we have speed limits of 85 miles per hour. Wow. um, On some of the open
0: highways, yeah. Radical. Getting up there. So, busy week, coding, PowerPointing, emailing, what percentage are you doing this week? You know, I've been wrapping up, uh, we have
1: this thing called the the cloud the cloud storage program, partner program. It's where big partners, not necessarily big partners, but partners that store files uh, that might be Office-related, they can actually have their documents open up in Office Online. And so uh, it's been kind of a white-glove service thus far, but um, I'm trying to build a, a reference implementation for the community. And so I'm wrapping that up and learning all the – interesting things of the WAPI interfaces so
0: sweet yeah we've been working hard here obviously with Rob Howard running the team now and we're looking for recruits to grow the team back up to the four ICs as well as Rob and focusing really hard now on build um, I've just had a chat with uh, one of your crew actually in DX around the virtual hackathon that's been running, um, dev.office.com slash hackathons. There's a fair amount of prizes to be won, and they've got quite a few people registered and putting submissions in for the deadline in March. So I'm really excited to see what people build in this hackathon. Like It's a very different format than what we used to in person. But um, it's useful just to see kind of what, what's interesting people. Is it the APIs in Microsoft Graph or is it the, you know, I'm building an Outlook or Excel PowerPoint or Word. And so um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what people do, especially the longer time frame too. You know, like our in-person events tend to be only 24 hours, whereas this virtual hackathon is a three month kind of mission. So we're looking forward to seeing about that too.
1: Yeah. And it's not too late, I think for, you know, our listeners, if you want a chance of winning some, some serious money, I mean, I think there's like a total of like $32,000 in prizes and all kinds of add ons to that. Just, that's just the cash part. There's also things like being able to go to a conference of your choice and different things like that. So um, I wish I was eligible. Unfortunately I'm not. So but you can be, so definitely go and, and check that one out. Are they going to actually, I know it goes through March, are they going to announce
0: the winners at build or is it something unrelated? Yeah, the timing I think is going to change. At the minute I think it's unrelated because the winners can actually pick a Microsoft conference to attend and to like therefore bypass any limitations of how many build tickets are available. So I think we're going to have to announce it before that f- with that in mind. Cool. Very good. Which is pretty cool. And then yeah, we've been uh, we've got some internal stuff coming up. We've got Tech Ready, which is our internal technology conference for our field guys that travel into Redmond every six months. And usually people rotate and come at one in every three. So it's always exciting to kind of hear from the field at Microsoft what people are up to and what they're seeing in their customer bases, and give that feedback to the engineering teams that get to present to our field about things that are upcoming. So um, there's a few really exciting things that I can't disclose on the podcast yet because it's all under NDA, but it's going to be the first time we've talked outside of engineering about some of these things. So I'm excited to see what the field think of them. So it'd be good fun. Yeah. And then from the blogosphere this week, before we get into the interview, um, anything you've seen that's really kind of popped on your radar?
1: Well, I think the, the one that was really timely, um, we were actually chatting about this before starting the recording, was um, Andrew Byrne, he did a an Outlook add-in that he's calling Galactify. And I say it's timely because if you, unless you've been living under a rock these days, you probably know of the new Star Wars movie and how popular it's been. It's broken all box office records. And Andrew did. It's it's pretty simple, but it's just kind of a fun type of Outlook add-in. Basically what it is, it is, it's a Uh, A read add in that will read your email and then basically recite it back in kind of the, you know, the very beginning of of Star Wars where it, you know, it says in a galaxy far, far away and then it has the kind of scrolling story going off in the distance well it'll actually do that with your email so it's pretty cool it's uh, it was kind of one of those neat little viral add-ins I saw a lot of retweeting of it um, and he posted the whole thing out on GitHub so you can go and, and check that out
0: yeah it's neat and he's done it um, using NPM and Bower and Gulp as well so it's not a Visual Studio approached one and um, he's using a library called Star Wars 3D scrolling text in CSS 3 which was written by Craig Buckler Um, back in 2012. Interesting fun fact about that scrolling text in Star Wars. I always assumed Star Wars was the first film to do that, but it wasn't. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know which one it was, Rich? I don't. I don't. Let's do this audience participation, and we'll come up with a prize for the first person on Twitter using Office 365 Dev hashtag Star Wars to state which film was the first one to do that 3D kind of scrolling text that we all think is Star Wars, but actually isn't. I've got a few things in my drawer here I can ship. So first first one on Twitter gets that. How about that? Am I eligible? No. Can I go track it down now? No, you're not eligible for anything. You're lucky you're getting paid, young man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Andrew actually did another one too, which is called Outlook Add-In Scream, which really just highlights the ability to use roaming settings in a in an add-in uh, in a state in a mailbox and how you can use an add-in command to when you've got an email selected in your inbox, click on it and it will obviously kind of overtake your um, the task pane, and you can type in and, uh, messages and click Scream and it will actually store away exactly how many things you've entered into that Scream box. So it's really more from a plumbing perspective, um, not quite as fun as the um, – Star Wars one, but it's just a really good way of showing how you can have state across different add-ins that you've got running in your mailbox. So definitely worth checking out if you're doing any Outlook add-in stuff as well. Yeah, it looked
1: like he was uh, I guess over the holidays he discovered all kinds of neat CSS animations and so <laughs> this one was a little bit more of a stretch than, than the other one but still pretty cool, especially if you think about you know, getting an email coming in you know, it's quite often you want to might want to make some notes about it. You know, one thing it's one thing just to flag it, and I guess you could create a task based upon it. But maybe just capturing some, just jot down some quick notes around it. Uh, this kind of shows you how you could actually do that with our APIs.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm still absolutely loving our Delve Analytics that's enabled in our tenant, which will be going out to customers soon. Have you, have you clicked around and played with that much? I'm too depressed to look at it, to be quite honest. <laughs> it's um, It definitely highlights how much we work, that's for sure. I think um, I my key contacts this week have been Sonia, Rob, and Dave, in actual fact. And it kind of shows you how much you've been email. It tells me who I'm losing touch with. Jim Epps, because he left the team. I lost in touch with him. I last connected with him on December 20th. But it tells you like how many hours you're doing with email and email etiquette. So... When I send to a 2 or a CC, how many people are actually reading them, which is you know, interesting because you can start to see how valuable you are with your so forth on your email stuff. I'm up two and a half hours this week, um, and I'm four and a half hours over the company average for meetings. God, it's de- yeah, it is depressing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's useful to be able to see that. And you can have it back in time too, so you can click back and see – how many hours you were on working on things too, which is neat. Yep. Last week, you were my top collaborator. Oh, nice. Go figure. Nice. That's because I like actually got back to email
1: after like the December month where I hardly touched email. That is probably
0: what it is. Yeah, for sure.
1: So one of the other uh, posts that I saw that was pretty cool, um, and I've actually played with this a little, a little bit. One of our uh, frequent posters, Elio, did a... a a post on using office theme colors in your add-in so as you know you can kind of change especially if you think about powerpoint add-ins this is a big one is if i if i go and put a content add-in in in powerpoint i don't want that to look like just like a, a an iframe window that has a completely different style and so what what he shows here is how you can actually be able to leverage the office theme that's active this is really cool i actually demo this a lot when i i demo this a lot with the um pull everywhere app is if you bring that up and then go and change the theme of your slide presentation it'll completely change the colors of that um the little poll add-in and so the, basically this is this is the first post i've seen that actually details how you go about doing that. So this is big if you're wanting to keep that really nice, especially in PowerPoint, but keep that theme kind of connected with your add-in.
0: Yeah, and and Fabric does that to a certain degree as well. And I think that was what Umberto had documented. I think he's just like kind of re-impfying that and putting a bit more detail into the, the scripts, right? Yep. That's cool. I like it. In terms of patents and practices week, uh, they've done the January release where it got pushed out. Some of the figures around this PMP repo are incredible. In terms of members now in the Yammer group, where they kind of have these discussions around patents and practices, 3,628 members with over 4,958 unique visitors during the past two weeks across the repositories that are owned by PNP. So there's the PMP main repository, there's a sites core repository and a PowerShell repository that um, are where the the most popular stuff is going on. But there is ones for office add-ins and guidance and the provisioning schema model and the partner pack that we shipped and some other bits and pieces as well. So there seems to be quite a bit of work in terms of changes to the provisioning engine in terms of performance improvements and being able to basically update to this new provisioning scheme that they've worked out on and kind of handling various different elements of what you can provision, including a new composed look update with that logic. So if you're doing anything around provisioning with SharePoint, I'd highly recommend checking out that provisioning engine that the PMP team have open sourced. And then the PMP library repo. the PMP core continues to grow based on community contributions as well. And there's some really nice new samples like a business app help desk that um is it Jonathan Huss Huss put together, who's one of our field guys. So it's a great example of using the Office three six five APIs and Azure and it uses Yammer and SQL Azure as well as SharePoint Online all kind of bundled together in this one solution. It's a great little scenario that kind of tags all that together. It's a little bit like what we've done with Property Manager where it's a rather than just being a point solution, that just highlights one area. It really focuses on building on the different building blocks that are available to you as an office developer across the platform. So lots and lots of things to kind of get in there. And um, what's nice as well is VESA does highlight the key contributors. And, you know, we've had recommendations in the past to kind of tilt the hat and thank people for joining it. But we'd need a whole podcast to read out this list of names of contributions here. And there's a lot that I don't recognize as well. So I need to kind of get on following these guys on Twitter. And so if you're looking for some more people to follow on Twitter, go to that blog post and you'll see a bunch of new names um, of people that are sharing content as well as some user suspects on there as well. So a big thank you to everyone who does contribute to that and um, for VESA and the team for kind of leading the charge on sharing everything they do around um, you know best practices around SharePoint but also Office 365 um, from perspective of the Microsoft graph and also with Office add ins as well. So it's not just about SharePoint, and you'll see that continue to grow as uh, the PMP stuff does too. Yep. And we missed this one last week because it came out, I think, literally the day that the podcast came out. But um, one of the big things we got feedback from with Office add ins is that when you add them, it wouldn't follow your work or school account, it had to be your Microsoft account when you're in your client. Whereas now, if I'm logged into my office client with my, say, my Redmond corporate credentials, it'll actually follow uh, my add-ins across my different client devices and not have to require me to be as my Microsoft account when I flow in. So, that was something that we've done from an enterprise deployment story perspective, which is really neat. So, that that. Again, you'll see a lot more of these announcements where we start to see these enterprise deployment flows come through. Was there anything else you saw, Rich? Um,
1: you know, another one that uh, this is more of a, a GitHub repo that I thought was interesting was um, it's it's a new one out on the Office Dev uh, account on GitHub. is a, It's a Node.js Microsoft Graph uh, sample that uses application-only permissions, so um, this is actually semi-related to the uh, the guests that we're going to have on today, uh, where they uh, were challenged with having to do some of the app-only calls from something that's maybe not .NET. You know, a lot of times you can easily find samples that are .NET-related, um, and and app-only sometimes can get kind of challenging. In some cases, you might end up working with certificates and things like that. And so um, it's nice to see a sample here um, that we have that you can go take a look at uh, using Node that uses app-only permissions with the the Microsoft Graph.
0: Yeah, okay. And then, oh, one big thing. Uh, The Runners Radio. I don't know when people keep asking me, like, what podcast do you listen to? And so RunnersRadio.com is actually done by... um, Richard, who has been probably known for that and also the .NET Rocks podcast. And he's actually put together a really neat RSS feed of Um, that can filter through those shows related to Office 365 stuff too. Um, There's some really interesting things. You don't have to be an IT pro to want to have to understand where they talk about Windows as a service and SharePoint 2016. Actually, Todd Clint was on the show talking about SharePoint 2016 and um, learning from data breaches with Troy Hunt. So some really interesting um, areas that – you know, you just might want to keep on the ball with as a development perspective in your org. And um, Richard does a great job of kind of covering that. So definitely worth checking that out if you're interested in picking up some more shows along the way for sure. And then there was one other blog um, from Peter Messenger. Um, It was writing an office add in for your website and basically, he just walks through um, highlighting something that he did with Andrew Coates, who's over in DX in Australia, um, putting together uh, physiotherapy exercises in a day or so uh, through through an add-in, and kind of injecting those things into a um, into a Word plugin as well. So he's actually open source data. It looks like from reading these things, and it's in the seller dashboard. So it's worth checking it out. You can actually go and um, find that if you click on the – in the store, it's called Physiotherapy Exercises. And so you can see in the screenshot it's a Word add-in and basically you select on the right-hand side and it creates the content in the Word document for you. So it's a good example of how you can build out Word documents through interacting with other services where they're pulling through all those different three-zero therapist exercises. So, and it's free, so it's one you can go and download for free from the store and play with that. So definitely worth checking that out. And um, I'm hoping to see a lot more blogging coming from him in his learning processes. You went through building that add in as well in Word. So good to see that come through too. So, Rich, was there anything else you wanted to add before we close up and jump straight into the interview? Let's do the interview. Sweet. All right. Well, this one's really good this week. Um, Form.io, which Richard, you've talked about in the show a bit before. Um, what's your, what was your take on? What, why? I mean, we've got a lot of demand for this, but what was your take on why we got these guys on the show?
1: Yeah, you know, there's uh, obviously there's a bit of a void right now in the productivity space when it comes to forms in terms of what Microsoft offers. Um, and, you know, we're working hard on various things to try to fill that gap. And there's also a lot of partners that do interesting things. So, you know, you can't have a form conversation these days about you know talking about Nintex and K2 and the different forms technologies they have. Those are all geared really towards um, like a business analyst and end user to build forms. Form.io is really unique because it's really geared for a developer. They really focus on developers um, and it's it's a really elegant solution um, I think for building forms. And, and I'll tell you as a developer that lives in uh, building code every day Forms are like my least favorite thing to deal with. And and so I thought this was was a really neat take on allowing a developer to basically build almost all of their application and then just leverage this as a platform for generating the forms and doing the interoperability between the forms and your data source.
0: Yeah, for me, it was a really interesting uh, side was just... Learning how they integrated with us and what were some of the uh the technology decisions that's made along the way and the frameworks that they use and so forth. So it was good to have them be so open about those things as well in the technology selection and and what they were seeing in the market in terms of interest around like Angular and React and, and different things like that too, which is you know useful not just for us from a marketing audience perspective, but I think also developers that are out there that just want to get an opinion of. You know what are what are other people seeing in this space too? So I think it's a really worthwhile interview to listen to. Yep. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks again, Rich, and um, we'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you in part by the World Graph. Hi, I'm Scott Guthrie. Microsoft has a rich
1: history of delivering powerful graph APIs to explore different data entities based on relationships. First, there was the Azure AD Graph, then the Office Graph, and then the Microsoft Graph became the one graph to rule them all. Well, not so fast. The new WorldGraph is the only graph API that brings together data from across the entire world. Want U.S. census data? It's in there. How about registered sex offenders? Yep. Looking for album art for that rare record you picked up at a yard sale? We got you covered. The WorldGraph aggregates basically every piece of data stored digitally around the world. Nothing is off limits. I was looking for embarrassing vacation photos of my boss before my annual review. It took no time with the World Graph. Thanks, Microsoft. Sure, it's a privacy nightmare. But with the World Graph, we bring together open source with open records at a worldwide scale. So
0: check out the World Graph today at graph.world.io. Okay, so we're on a Skype call right now with uh, Rich as well. And Rich, where are you right now? I'm in Dallas. I'm actually at the Las Colinas
1: campus we have Microsoft has. Fancy. Is it
0: nice and big open plan? Or?
1: It's, it's not open. It's actually kind of a... I, I've been told it's one of the largest campuses that Microsoft has. Um, at, at one time, it was the biggest outside of Redmond, I think, maybe the... Um, uh, what is it? Mountain View office is bigger
0: now, but it's it's pretty big. Te- Texas always does things better, right? <laughs> Everything's bigger. That's right. And I know that everyone listening to this is going to ask: Are they all wearing cowboy hats as they walk around the office? Pretty much. We have a, a a place to park your horse
1: right outside of the <laughs> office. Yeah. Now it's funny. You guys have like a thousand um, places to park and charge your electronic car and you know that's really big up in the you have hay buckets that's right that's right we 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 put those in and they weren't used so we went ahead and removed them and put some uh feeding troughs so (laughs) you
0: you guys have the big trucks that basically destroy destroy the ozone and 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 horses that's right that's right and, and nothing in between yeah big old
1: like F-350s that, yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: So um, we've we've got the form I.O. guys on the call. So we've got Denise, Gary, and Travis. So thank you for spending some time with us guys to talk about um, what you've been doing and how you've been interacting with our platform and got some really cool things we want to get through today. So um, Travis, do you want to introduce yourself first and we'll run down the line that way?
2: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you guys for having us, uh, Jeremy and Richard. It's a great honor to be on this uh, podcast with you guys. Um, my name is Travis Tidwell. I'm the uh, CTO and co-founder of Form.io, which we're going to be talking through today, and I'm happy to be here. I'm, uh, we are also from Texas, so I can attest to uh, Richard's uh, description. Cowboy hats, boots, all of the like. Ah. yeah, that's, that, is, that is definitely a very accurate stereotype.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and how about yourself, Gary? I'm right here in Texas as well, and I'm also CEO and co-founder of Form.io. And uh, just by brief introduction, because we'll hand it over to Travis pretty quickly, I want to explain to you guys and to the audience that FormIO was founded in Q1 of last year, and it's been a very, very busy year for us. We assembled the team and built the product and conducted a private beta program with a couple hundred developers before we launched the product. And we're excited to say that we launched it at TechCrunch Disrupt in September of last year in San Francisco. And since that time, it's been a very quick building Q4 for us, where we we now have well over 500 users and accounts and are building customers and applications every day of the week. So We're really excited to get in front of you guys, and as Rich knows, we've had a lot of integration and application work with Microsoft and Office 365 already, so we're really happy to be able to tell you guys about that. Thank you.
0: So, as the name form.io implies, what's the what, what does you, what does it allow you to do from a web developer perspective?
2: Yeah, I can I can probably fill this question uh, pretty well. So, if, I think the uh, the name form.io is is very descriptive in actually what it is that we do, um, and really uh, it really describes the the separation that's currently happening within applications. Um, so, as a, a lot of people are very much aware. You know, Web 3.0 is upon us, and what that really entails is that applications of the future really are built much different than they are uh, in in the past, whereas you used to have server-side business logic serving up applications. This was the way of the uh, CMS, Uh, so content management systems were really popular, uh, you know, four or five years ago, where the servers would actually send up the interface to everyone using that application, We're now in a period of time where that is completely separating. And so you have a front end and you have a back end. As it turns out, our name has a front end and a back end component to it. You have the form on the front end and you have IO on the back end. And what our name really represents is a complete paradigm shift in a different way to really build forms and embed forms within your applications that not only does dynamic rendering, of the form within a front-end completely separated from the uh, server, but it also hooks itself up to the I.O., which is the APIs uh, within the server side. So we really kind of try to combine this new methodology of total separation between front-end and back-end and we do so using Forms, which is where we get the name, Form.io.
0: And from the I.O. perspective, what kind of services do you connect to that would be useful in this scenario?
2: So we, we actually do provide our own APIs, and the APIs are generated from the forms that you build. So as you drag and drop fields onto the form, you hit save. Those fields essentially define the schema for the API. Um, so that's one of the, that's really the starting point, if you will, on where our services begin. From that point, we allow a number of connection points. Um, A, to our own database, um, or your own database, if you wish to deploy our system in your own Docker instances. You can store the data within a, a MongoDB database, But then you have the ability to point it to a number of external services, um, Microsoft being one of those, Office 365, SharePoint. We do a number of integrations between uh, databases such as Microsoft SQL Server. We have an integration for that as well as MySQL. Um, We can also connect to a number of other things uh, such as uh, uh, email providers, Mailgun, SendGrid. These are all uh, transactional email providers where you can take a form submission and then push that data wherever you want it to go. And so I think that's really uh, the I.O. becomes this massive, not only just API service, but a connection point to a number of third party providers, including Microsoft, which is where you guys come into play.
1: So, guys, um, you know, one of the things that I was I thought that was really unique, I've, I've been talking with you guys for several months, probably half a year almost at this point. I thought you guys had a really interesting play in this space, given the focus on Kind of developers and building these kind of composite applications where you know um, you know there's there's lots of little things that we've had in the form space. We've even had some things built into things like SharePoint with with InfoPath. And what I thought that was really unique was this was something that was really geared towards you know developers that had you know can leverage their existing skills to kind of take away a part that's maybe not so fun to do in their applications. I, I don't know anyone that really likes building forms, and this kind of does that for me automatically. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of that, you know, the, that focus on extending and helping developers?
2: Yeah, and, and we, will, we will say uh, to, to anybody that we describe our product to that we, uh, first and foremost, we are a tool for developers, and that is one thing that we, we want to make sure that whoever's experiencing our product realizes and we also believe that with that comes a lot of responsibility but also a lot of power in the, in the hands of the developers. So one thing, being a developer myself, one thing that I, I don't like to happen when I'm, when I'm using a platform is to lose control. I don't like to be, you know, to completely relinquish all of my web development experience or web development um, know-how into a platform that I can't easily control, which is one of the reasons why we really kind of draw the lines at Forms and leave the application development – and all of the control and power and flexibility that web developers already know how to do in their hands. And then what we'd like to do is provide them a facility that allows them to easily drag and drop forms, create those forms, and embed those within their applications so that the so that it is very seamless in their experience. And the one way that we're doing that is we're really trying to tackle one HTML element called the form HTML element. That's the one element, Rich, that you said, all these developers dread that element. You know, typing form in your application, you know, really just brings in bad connotations because you have to, A, build the API behind it. You also may have a bunch of elements that you have to put into that form, and then you also have to maintain that form. Whenever you start bringing in very complex forms, such as the forms that are, you know, for onboarding uh, HR, Uh, These are really long forms. If you're doing like sales quote uh, applications, medical clinic registrations, sports registrations, all of these type of applications are very data-intensive forms. And really whenever you cross a certain threshold, a tool like ours um, not only doesn't become a nice-to-have, it becomes a critical component to the maintainability of your application as well as your sanity <laughs> as a developer.
0: And so with these microservices that you, that you talk about in terms of connecting, are you, do you see more and more that it's more about the API as being the first thing you look at as opposed to the UI or vice versa? Like, What's what's the typical flow for someone like this?
2: Yeah, so and I'm uh, this, uh, very excited that you brought that up because with the paradigm shift that I mentioned to you earlier, um, there was a period in time um, back whenever CMS was really popular, we're talking 2005, where people were building um, web, websites, and along came the iPhone, and the iPhone just really kind of shook things up a little bit in that it really allowed these web application to be visible on a very small interface. And with that, there was actually this major transition, major paradigm shift in development that a lot of developers embraced called mobile first. A lot of people are still probably reading blog articles about this this, uh, this paradigm shift where people started building websites so that they can be visible on um, tablets as well as phones. Well, we are in now in a time where it is no longer, the interfaces are no longer um, simply just tablets, and mobile phones, we now have to cater our applications to things that may not even have an interface. Let's talk about Fitbits. Let's talk about um, in, in engaging with other third-party services, consuming, producing data, as well as a, a multitude of interfaces that are simply a watch. You may wear watches that now have an interface to the web. What's happening there is that has actually brought in a new, a new mandate, And that new mandate is is we no longer can allow the server to send up the interface. And in a lot of ways, mobile-first no longer applies. And what we've really tried to uh, embrace is this concept of API-first development. And what that really entails is that if you're building a web application, you're building a a system, you want to really look at the API before you really even start diving into the application. Form.io is a tool that really caters to this movement because the process of building an API is the very same process as building a form within your application. So it doesn't really require that much of a leap for developers to take from their current way of doing things to the, to the way of building apps for the future with API-first development.
1: So give us a, maybe like a real world scenario. You, you mentioned a few there where um, earlier where you were talking about this concept of like a, a, a really large, complex capturing form. But even on a, on a simplistic way, um, give, give us an example of, of how someone might, um, you know, the types of scenarios you're seeing the FormIO being popular with.
2: Right, so we're, we're getting a lot of uh, traction right now with um, organizations who have their internal business processes that used to be a paper-pushing process um, want to to instead instigate that process from these ancillary interfaces. And I know that was kind of a very convoluted way of essentially saying they want to be able to take the input of process-enabling things within their organization. So the example that I can immediately think of is a customer that we're working with that has a sales team that's out in the, out in the uh, field who, who are selling these very large pressure vessels uh, for, the, uh, for the oil and gas industry. And these sales representatives are responsible for really instigating a, a, an internal business process within this organization, which is the, the sale opportunity. And previously, before they had Form.io, this was very much a paper process um, situation where the sales reps would go out in the field. They'd find a sales opportunity. They'd fill out this really massive form with all the data that they need for to essentially get this into their ERP, and then that would actually trigger the sales quoting process. And so, what they want to do is be able to give these sales reps a tablet instead, and say, you know what, input all your data here. We want you to input it in a way so that you know. Not only can you input it out in the field, we have offline mode support to enable that as well. Um, These sales reps input all the data, but then that immediately trigger some backend actions, and this is, this is really where Office 365 comes in, where not only do they want to trigger backend actions to start the quoting process, but they also want to automate a lot of things within their ERP. They want to create a contact within Office 365. Let's say the quote has a deadline. They want to automatically create some calendar events within their Outlook calendar so that they will get notified whenever the quote is due for that opportunity. They want to include the inside sales rep for the submission of this opportunity. And they, in turn, want to be able to create an, a separate form, which is a quote, and be able to attach that to the opportunity and track all of these things. Uh, you know, a lot of these related form data systems, they all relate to each other to really encapsulate the process of making a sale. And that's one use case that we see a lot. Go ahead, Gary.
3: Right. And to add to that, we're seeing Formio fit into enabling applications that require distributed front-end interfaces with user groups, with roles and permissions, and distributed use cases in the price quote RFQ scenario that Travis just mentioned. Also in healthcare and uh, doctor, office, clinics, hospital applications where they're offboarding and onboarding patients. Online learning management is a really active segment for us, with coursework that's being conducted where the user has to be able to leave a session and come back online. Online real estate transactional applications. So We're seeing a number of large end-user business verticals that have online form-intensive applications with distributed workflows uh, in enterprise environments that tie into, as Travis mentioned, underlying legacy systems, ERP systems, and the like and then outputting to a multitude of endpoints, including Office 365, as he just mentioned. And so our use cases really follow the same pattern again and again, but favorably apply to developers that are building applications for just about every major end-user business vertical that's out there.
0: So, Travis, with the the way that you're doing authentication against this, our Office 365 service, how, how did you guys get started on that? What were some of the authentic, authentication into form.io but it, it, to call our product?
2: Yeah, great. I think that's a great question. And also, um, it's, a, it's a good talking point because it was one uh, immediate challenge that we ran into very early on, which is we feel like the use case that we had was a little bit different from what would be considered the mainstream Windows application. So I'm glad you asked that question. To, to start off with, I'd like to just touch a little bit on the, the authentication schemes that we have within FormIO. One thing that I will mention, and this is also another um, thing that a lot of people uh, misinterpret about our, our platform, is that we do offer an entire platform for your, your application. You can build your entire app on FormIO and then integrate into a number of services on the back end, and that includes authentication. So as as most people already know, when you go and you log in to any service, you're essentially filling out a form that then executes an action on the back end. The action that we execute um, that that you would attach to that form uh, for a login form would be an authentication action. Right now, we, we offer... Uh, JWT authentication, uh, which is a, um, it's, a, it's a new method for authentication we can go we can dive into the, the guts of that technology if you want to it's very exciting really allows you to, to scale your services uh, because you're not really relying on sessions um, each client essentially contains its own session. Um, so that's one method that we do for authentication. Another method is using OAuth. So uh, we do implement the Office or the Microsoft um, OAuth uh, service. So if you do wish to uh, you know, authenticate against your Active Directory, um, you can set up a form where you can log in, and it would actually provide you an auth token uh, that would be a Microsoft-compatible auth authentication token, which can then be passed into the back-end actions for Office 365 and um, Calendar. Now, there was one really interesting um, use case that we ran into that we really kind of had to think outside the box a little bit when it came to Office uh, 365 integration, which was you have the use case of a, a medical clinic is using FormIO for patients onboarding, and they, they want their patients to walk into the office. They hand the patient a tablet. This is happening all over right now. I'm sure you've probably walked into a doctor's office and they handed you a tablet. And this is a form. The patient is filling out a form. But what they want to do with that data is they want to integrate it immediately into Office uh, API. So they want to push that data into the contacts or they want to actually add calendar events. And authentication becomes a little bit of a challenge here because you cannot require patients, every patient that's filling out that form, to have a, uh, an Office or a Microsoft account. And so what we ended up doing is we implemented the app-only permissions, uh, which is a very uh, powerful capability um, that Microsoft offers that allows the application to really almost act on behalf of somebody within an Active Directory. And this capability really opened the door for us to build a service where you could utilize Form.io essentially as a proxy API To Microsoft services, which is a really powerful capability of FormIO that a lot of people don't realize. It's as simple as dragging and dropping, building a form that generates its own APIs, but that API that it generates can now engage and interact with Microsoft APIs on the back end. And so that was one really interesting authentication thing that we implemented.
0: And so you're, when you've done that authentication, you've connected to our endpoint, you're using the schema of our endpoint to then shape what's available in your proxy API class?
2: The starting point, obviously, is Azure. So you go into Azure, um, there's this thing called a manifest uh, file. Um, and to that actually you have to generate some credentials, and hopefully I'm answering the question as you asked it. But this manifest file uh, within Microsoft allows you to provide some key credentials. Now, this, is, this was actually a fairly complex thing, so we ended up also writing a library um, that makes working with the key, uh, key credentials very easy to use. We wrote an open source library, MIT licensed. It's available on github.com forward slash formio forward slash keycred. And I encourage you guys to check this out. It's a Node.js application that essentially generates not only a certificate, using a very popular node library called Forge. But it also um, automatically gives you or provides you the JSON schema that you can put into that key credentials file, the manifest, and then you can upload it to your Azure account. And then because this tool also generates the certificate, you can copy those uh, configurations, put those into your FormIO configuration, hit save, and you immediately have a connection between our APIs and the APIs provided by Microsoft. And one other thing is, when you're talking about permissions, the permissions that you set up within the app only on your um, application that you build within Azure, those are the permissions that are applicable to the Form.io application that's interacting with it.
1: So that I, you know, I, that's one of the first things that I saw that you guys had helped kind of contribute to the community was that the the node tool to generate that. I mean, if, for those that aren't familiar with kind of what uh, Travis was describing, so this is the the daemon service type thing where you want to ultimately call in and run kind of uh, at, a, at a higher level, like an application only type of approach, and it, it involves generating certificates and you know sharing a private key with with Azure, and and so they've they've done some things to help completely automate that, which is great if you're not developing on a PC, if you're developing on it, we make it pretty easy on Windows to do self-signed certificates. It's not always quite as easy uh, in the Mac side of the house. Yeah. How do you, so if you're proxying that, if you're basically creating, you know, a proxy service through FormIO and you have your own API, then that's getting exposure to that how, how then – how do you guys secure those services?
2: So all of, the, all of our API's endpoints – in fact, you cannot hit any of our API endpoints without a JWT authentication. So whenever you create a project, the very first thing that comes along with project is roles. And, um, and this is something that Gary touched on very earlier earlier on in the conversation – Every single project essentially has roles that you can have within the application, and you can, you can create as many roles as you want. So, so, for example, in the patient scenario, you would want to allow patients to submit a form that provides their data, but you do not want to give them access to any of the other APIs within your application. So, you would create a role within your, your patient portal um, application called patient. And this patient uh, role is essentially going to be an anonymous role unless they uh, provide a record and then it's assigned to that record. And with every single role within FormIO, you have the ability to edit each form and decide which roles have access to which endpoints within that, that form. So every single form has a number of permissions available to it, such as you can read a submission, you can read the index, you can create all of the CRUD capabilities on a per form basis, uh, you can lock down per role. And you can't hit any endpoint within FormIO without a Valid JWT token. Cool. So what
1: what sort of um, what sort of Office 365 services have you guys integrated with and and kind of provided, whether that be that kind of proxy layer or you know kind of exposing as a user? I've heard things like contacts and email. What sort of other things have you guys worked with or seen customers work with from an Office 365? Side.
2: So, from an Office 365 uh, scenario, really, there's just three big ones: it's contacts, calendars, and then of course emails. Um, and we've really just impl- implemented those uh, those type of, those three capabilities from Office 365. We do have plans as we get new projects. I mean, it really, is, this is kind of like a project uh, project based type of implementation. As new projects come across the bow for us, each customer is going to have different requirements, and uh, we're very open to integrate new APIs within the Microsoft ecosystem as we get those projects. Another thing that we're we're actively developing, in fact, we're we're getting really close to wrapping it up, is a SharePoint integration. I know this isn't necessarily Office 365, but SharePoint has the ability to integrate within the SharePoint lists, and so our next big step is to essentially create ability to create forms that integrate directly into SharePoint lists, and this allows you to have external forms form-based applications that can integrate directly into SharePoint, um, which is a very massive value proposition. Uh, uh, Richard, you mentioned that, inf- you know, the InfoPath, um, that they've been discontinuing that service. We we legitimately believe that Form.io is a very valid replacement for the InfoPath
3: product. Travis, what I wanted to add to your commentary regarding roles and permissions and data security and some of the medical healthcare applications and our commentary of this being foundationally a tool for developers is our ability to deploy into existing environments through Docker deployments. If you could comment on that further.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's also another big. Um, that's a, that's a really big requirement that we get from people who, you know, they they their data is their business, um, and a lot of the companies that we deal with, that is um, their most valuable asset is their data. So they they uh, do not want a third party service to can, uh, contain and maintain their data which is why we um, have our docker deployment capability which you can take our entire infrastructure including database and deploy it within your own environments uh, whether it be on in the cloud your own private cloud or you can get as as even as uh, small as localized on prem in office deployment so you have a server set up within your, your office clinic and you only want the customer data to be on that server alone, you can set up a Docker container that basically serves as your your office or hospital API server, and all of that data can then get fed into that single server. So we have a number of capabilities um, to offer to even people that do not wish to have the cloud-based Environment for their data. So so with that,
0: I mean, obviously you're going to try and keep FormIO as open as possible. You must have had some technical decisions you've had to make along the way. Um, And we often get asked on the show about this as well in terms of like JavaScript frameworks, which you're never ever going to win because everyone always has an opinion. But it's always interesting to hear from partners on decisions you've made along the path. So from the perspective of kind of like React, Angular, um, bootstrap and, and all the different frameworks that get kind of thrown in there. What kind of things have, has Form AI picked up along the way, and, and what were some of the key decision points as part of that process?
2: So one of the biggest driving points of our decisions on to what frameworks we're going to support is really just to kind of, A, look at where the market was and where the market is going. So we immediately recognized that the the rise of these frameworks is actually a, um, an indication of the uh, or a symptom, if you will, of of the separation between the front end and the back end. So you get these uh, libraries like Angular JS, React JS, Ember JS, uh, Backbone. All of these were created through this man- this new mandate, this API first development mandate, where developers needed to separate the front end from the back end. Out of that, we really just kind of isolated and picked out uh, uh, to begin with. Some frameworks that we would like to uh, essentially start off with on implementing our our rendering capabilities. One thing that I will mention is that we have several components within our product. One is the form building capability that you you get when you log into Form.io and you can build a form. I will mention that that form builder is also available um, open source, so you can go onto our GitHub page at github.com forward slash form.io to see this form builder. That is built on AngularJS. However, I do want to make the distinction that there is a big difference between form building and form rendering. Once you've actually built a form, really all that does is build a JSON schema. And that JSON schema can now exist even as a file on your file system. And it's up to the renderer to take that JSON schema and then determine how it wants to render it. So from a rendering perspective, we are going across the board in trying to address all of the front-end frameworks. Right now we have AngularJS, we have ReactJS, and we have current plans and have started development on jQuery just so that you can embed these forms with just in a, a flat jQuery application. But then we're also going to be extending it to other frameworks. I might also mention that we are open source. The, the renderers that I mentioned just, uh, just now are available on GitHub. They're BSD licensed. So they're very liberally licensed. And we encourage the community to take these schemas and build the renderers that they need for whatever products that they're building on top
1: of. And and to some extent, I'm guessing the renderer can be someone independent. So for instance, you know, you listed React and Angular, which are both client side frameworks for this. But I mean, theoretically, I could have like a 100% 100% node application or 100% asp.net that really doesn't do a whole lot of client side things and ultimately just include maybe just the one like like a a single script or maybe I'm not sure if you guys automatically bootstrap in like angular but ultimately I could include just a few scripts and immediately start using like the form your custom directive that you guys have that helps kind of render a form. Is that correct?
2: Um, yeah, so the, the the beauty about it being a complete REST API platform is that the the forms themselves are really JSON objects. And a lot of people, this is one of the things that whenever people first experience JSON-powered forms and uh, our platform is that they, they immediately realize that we've essentially taken the definition of a form and have, have abstracted it to a very basic JSON schema. And what I love about JSON is you really can load it into anything, which is kind of where you're getting at, Richard. You can, you can pull that JSON schema into a Node application and decide that you want to do something else with that schema. Let's say you want to take, the, take it and automatically um, build an importer, um, a customized importer. You could do that um, with, with the schema that's provided from that form. And uh, I will just say it, a form is just one variant of what could be limitless possibilities of having just a JSON representation of data that not only has an API associated with it, very similar to kind of like how Swagger.io works, but this is really kind of like a front-end form-based schema. Um, you can really do whatever you want with it.
0: And that was one interesting thing, uh, like Swagger came up onto my radar when we started seeing our internal builds of uh, Power Apps, which has obviously been in the public domain for a little while and is, is available in preview to um, select people, and that preview program is growing. And it'll be interesting to see like the crossover and, and how... Working together with that Power Apps on top as maybe the, the UI layer, um, and it kind of integrating in with the, the JSON that you've got and the APIs that you provide um, to be that proxy layer to a lot of other application services as well.
2: Yeah, I, I've actually, you know, I've been watching some videos over Power Apps, and one thing that I, I really appreciate about that technology is you've really kind of taken a very simple approach to application building, and I actually believe there's a clear separation between that service and the service we provide and i actually i legitimately believe that as you describe power apps could have a widget that you can drag onto the application which is a form renderer and that renderer is essentially the rendering mechanism behind uh, that's the same rendering uh, that renders the same schema that formio provides so you could use formio to build your forms uh, as you as you want you can even build wizards you can build multi-page forms all of these things capabilities you can do within the formio platform And then from within the Power Apps uh, ecosystem, you would have a widget that you can drag on there, point point, uh, to the external uh, JSON file, which is your form, and Power Apps immediately knows how to render that form within the application, and thus saving the developer a lot of time, not only maintaining the forms. This is another thing that really comes up a lot with people that we deal with, is developers, it's one thing to build a form. It's another thing to have to maintain a form developers are really kind of fed up of being this middleman of having to constantly change forms, add new components. What they would love to do more than anything is hand off the management of those forms to somebody who's not a developer and to say, you know what, you guys manage the forms, you guys manage the input of data, I will just deal with the application as well as all the services for that data. This is the environment that developers want to be in, and Form.io really provides them that capability. You can Take our form builder, hand that off to somebody else to manage the forms, and using a single line of code, embed a widget that renders the form dynamically based on the JSON that's provided from the form builder. It's a very powerful combination, and I easily see it fitting in an environment such as Power Apps.
1: So one of the things that you had said earlier on in the interview was how, as a developer, you don't like giving up control. You like that control, and and how you guys have a, a feel like you have a, a really strong offering there for developers. As a, as a developer, if if I go with one of the one of the renderers that you guys already have widely available versus kind of coming up my own renderer. How much control do I have over how that form looks? I mean, is it as simple as um, do you guys publish certain style classes or or what's my approach to customizing that to fit the look of the application that I'm putting it in?
2: It's a great great question. I'm glad you asked it, Rich. So the one major difference between a dynamically rendered form within the application versus something like an iframe that all the developers are currently having, unfortunately having to deal with, is dynamically renders forms actually render the form dynamically in the DOM of the page. What that means is is not only do you have full CSS control over the form, but you also have JavaScript control over it as well. And all of the I.O. events that occur within the back end, so like whenever a submission is made, the submission, the data comes back, all of those events are captured via an XHR request. So as a developer, you have full control over not only how it looks, but also how it behaves via JavaScript. And within our form builder, we actually allow you the ability to provide your own custom classes. So let's say, you know, hey, for this certain input element, I want it to look very different than, than all the others. I can easily theme that one custom component by providing a custom class. We've also taken it one step further, Rich. What we've done is we've also given the developers the ability to build custom components. Our form renderer, this renderer library that I was mentioning to you, is actually a plugin system, and every single component is a JavaScript uh, registration. You register your your component to the renderer, and any time that the renderer runs into a component with the type um, that you provide, it calls your controller, it calls your classes, and it basically says, okay, you know how to render this, do that. What's great about that is when a developer wants a very customized component, a form component that's very custom, they can not only include our renderer, but register their own custom components to behave in their own very special way. And that also includes theming as well as uh, the business logic.
0: Now, you also mentioned seeing with Docker and what you're doing these days from a web development perspective. And is it you internally as a product engineering team build as you're building your products using Docker? Or are you seeing it more from a, uh, your customers using Docker to when they're using your framework?
2: So, yeah, we we are a, a classic example of a company who, who eat, loves to eat our own dog food. So, we have we utilize our own Docker containers to serve up Form.io. And not only that, Form.io itself, if you go to Form.io and click on register and go into the portal, you'll notice there's a lot of complexities there. We have teams. We have projects. Within a project, you have a number of forms and resources. What a lot of people don't actually realize is we built Form.io as a project within Form.io. Which I really believe illustrates the power of this platform. You can build something as complex as, as our platform in itself with the platform. I know it's, it's a little bit like we're, we're you know uh, getting a little bit of recursive here, but it really illustrates how flexible and how powerful our platform is. And when it comes to deployments, we, we realized that we as a company, we need to have our own infrastructure, we need to have our own databases, we need to be able to auto-scale. Right? And Docker really provided that capability for us as a company, FormIO. We then turned around and looked at our customers and said, you know what? They have those same requirements. They need their own infrastructure. They need to scale on their own terms. They need to hook up to their own databases. Why not allow us to provide our entire Docker container, which, by the way, includes all the source code and all the like. I mean, it's, it's all there. To these companies, so that they have full autonomy when using our product within their own infrastructure, and we do the same with our own with our own platform.
1: So maybe a, a just an interesting question for maybe all of you guys could maybe chime in on this one. Um, I, I find it interesting working with with you you guys because you you are very open source even like the technologies that you're built on whether that be some of the client side frameworks leveraging node leveraging docker and it you're you're the type of partner that we probably wouldn't have been speaking to like 2 or 3 years ago and and you know Microsoft's obviously changed a lot and and Given that you guys have started doing work with, with Office 365 and things like Azure, so I've heard you mention Azure quite a bit, and I know you guys have deeper integration in Azure that we haven't even discussed today, so things like SQL Azure and other other things like that. What's been your experience over the past year? kind of rediscovering the new Microsoft in terms of, you know, how we work with developers and the open source community.
3: Gary, do you want to fill that one? In fact, one of our early adopter partners was a Microsoft ISV Catalina Technologies, who's a close partner to us today. And you may remember, we started engaging with Microsoft directly last summer when we were still in private beta. And we decided we wanted to demonstrate FormIO as a enabling platform to build Web 3.0 type of applications that tie directly into underlying Microsoft Office 365 services. Really, right away, we experienced a strong interest and support by both the Microsoft team and, and the developer community to see where this could go. And the timing just seemed to fit well with other Microsoft developments. And and we also saw this uh, last fall at, here in Dallas at the Microsoft Cloud Roadshow, uh, Rich, where you presented, if you remember, and that was a great experience for us, too. The the agenda and the content revolved so much around leveraging Azure and related Microsoft tools for the various applications, many of which aligned so well with what FormIO is doing. So. We really feel like we fit well into this ecosystem, and it's been a very good experience us working together with you guys and with the Microsoft developers themselves.
0: Kind of building their own own products, but then leveraging a lot of our services in Office 365 and um, those different technology sets as well. So a big thank you for taking your time to kind of share that and be very open on um, the frameworks you're using and some of the the secret sauce that you, you're using there to um, kind of build that product. But I think the most interesting takeaway that I had from the show really was. This the fact that you are open sourcing everything on on, on GitHub and um, you know for those that uh, haven't seen it yet with form.io is the website and github.com is where you can go and see things like that key cred repo that um, Travis talked about earlier in the show but there's a ton of other repos there as well like the rendering they talked about too so as with anything it's some good learning that you can have by looking at how people have leveraged frameworks and building them but also in different approaches that people can use to consume our services as well and so you know again we thought it was useful to get them on the show because they have done a lot of very clever things in talking to our apis and often we get those questions a lot on the show about you know what's the best way to connect to x service and how's the how should we be wrapping these things up on our end from a productivity in a secure way and and the fact that for for my i have those things open source means that you can go and go and look at that approach and see and compare it to what you're doing as well I know, Richard. You had something to say as well, right? Yeah, I was just going to throw out there that um, you know, it's sometimes
1: it's hard to maybe visualize kind of the what Formio does by listening to a podcast. So one thing I would point out is that um, they did a, an Office Dev show on Channel Nine with Sonia uh, a couple months back, and uh, we'll have that link on the show notes because um, to me, it, it's really it's a really powerful thing to see how quickly you can put together a form and getting it, uh, you know, submitting data and being able to hook into other services like Office 365. And and they demonstrate a lot of those concepts like the the certificate generator to help do app-only permissions and things like that on that Office Dev Show. So definitely, you know, in addition to taking a look at their site, definitely check out that show as
0: well if you want to see it being used and then give it a test drive. Yeah, and I'll make sure that's in the show notes too as well. Okay, well, a big thank you, uh, Gary and Travis, for coming on the show and doing that. And um, we'll uh, get some more partners on the show in the future to talk about how they've integrated with our services as well. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program. We can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 Technical Network on aka.ms/slash Office 365 Dev Podcast Yam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.